The following is a recording of the Ayn Rand Institute's Philosophy for Living on Earth webinar series. Sign up to attend the next webinar live at bit.ly forward slash ARI webinars. Is doing drugs wrong? An interview with Ankar Gatte. Hi, everyone. I'm David Birnbaum, and I want to welcome you to this week's Philosophy for Living on Earth. This is a series of weekly sessions where the Ayn Rand Institute intellectuals engage in interesting and important subjects for life. Um, I want to remind everyone right off the bat that you, we, in the second half, we will be doing Q&A with the audience. So on Zoom, you can engage on the Q&A uh, function. And on Facebook, YouTube, and Periscope, just leave comments with your questions, and we will try to get to as many as we can. This week, we are talking about is doing drugs wrong with Ankar Gatte. So I want to welcome Ankar as well. Hi, David. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Pretty good. <coughs> so I'm the weather. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, so we're not going to be talking about the kind of drugs that will help you. We're going to yeah. be talking more about what many people would call illegal drugs um, for most of them. But let's jump right into it because I want to know is doing drugs wrong? Is it that simple of a question? Is it a yes or no? And if so, what's the answer? Um, I don't actually think it's a good question. So it's, and this is one of the things that you learn from Ayn Rand and from her philosophy of objectivism, I think, that it's whenever you're asking a question where your primary thing is, is this wrong? Um, that's not the right approach. It tells you you don't have the right context. What, what morality, ethics, thinking about right and wrong, the primary should be what's right, what's good, what's valuable to do. And only in that context do you think, well, are there some things that are wrong? But wrong would mean it either, it, it prevents me from getting the things that I'm trying to get. It prevents me from getting good things from values from doing what's right. And so I think really the, the what, why this matters in regard to this question is um, your first question should be, why are you, what, do you wanna take drugs? And whatever the drug is, if it's alcohol, if it's caffeine, if it's what are not in the US at least uh, many uh, illegal drugs, but marijuana is being uh, legalized in various places in the US and around the world. So, it's not like, is this wrong to do? The first thing should be, is it right? But what that really means is, what am I trying to accomplish? What values am I trying to achieve by this? And then the question is, does this really achieve those values? And does it have any kind of consequences, repercussions that you look over the longer term, you might think, well, it seems like you're achieving this value, but it's undercutting you in some longer term kind of way. And really in the end what in ethics you're trying to figure out is it over the long term good for me or not valuable to do or not but that i think should be the orientation that one has to this and other questions about right and wrong and so for then drugs and alcohol like i can't see a way in which it would actually you know add value and be right for any of my goals i see it as often used as an escape either temporarily or not and some people would argue well it's good to sometimes have that escape um what are your thoughts on its value then if there is any well if you, i mean you brought up you put a lot of drugs in there like alcohol I do think there are values, I drink, so put, put that on the record. Um, and I partly like the taste of it, um, but I do find it, it's mildly relaxing. Like I don't find it overwhelmingly, but, but after a long day, sometimes a frustrating day to have a drink or something, I find it helps you relax, um, think about other things and so on. It's, that's different than getting stone cold drunk. And so, um, but, and so that's, again, it's like, what are you trying to accomplish? I think when people are and getting drunk and particularly regularly, they are trying to escape something as, as you put it. And that's a very different thing. Are you trying to escape something or as you find that this brings some kind of benefit? And even if you're trying to escape something, as you brought up, is there reasons 
why you're trying to escape it? And is the momentary escape useful or not? So you could put, put for very physical, not an emotional, psychological, you're depressed and you've turned to drink or something like that. But if you just think of pain in the physical sense, when we take things to, to numb the pain, we're trying to escape the pain. Um, if I go to the dentist and I get topical antifreeze and so on, it's to escape the pain of him drilling. And I don't know if you've been at the dentist, sometimes it doesn't, hasn't taken completely and they start drilling and it hurts like hell. And that's an escape, but I think it's a rational escape. Like there's, I don't think this has any long-term, I'm kind of burying something that I shouldn't really face and so on. This is physical pain and it hurts when they drill your tooth and I want to escape that. Uh, or I want to avoid that is another way to put it. Um, so there's a lot so of different I, things going on when, to, when one thinks about this issue. I want to jump in on the top, the idea of escape, because I was what I would consider a stereotypical university student who went too far with the partying and that kind of stuff. Uh -huh. But I've now gone to the other extreme where I view even having a couple of beers after a tough day, that is an escape. And I think, you know, I'm in control of my mind. I shouldn't need any aids in relaxing um, or escaping. So is, do you view even the mild use still in a similar lens? Um, yeah, and I'm, why do you have a premise that you don't need any aids? Um, so the, the, I mean, take another kind of drug, caffeine. People use it to stay awake. And uh, do you have a premise that, well, I should be able to stay awake even without it. Like sometimes when I have to drive late at night, um, I'll have a coffee and a strong, a strong coffee. Um, and I don't have a premise that, well, I should be able to stay awake without this. It, it, I mean, it has a physiological effect for sure. Um, and it is an aid in that kind of uh, context. So there's a difference between for, for alcohol, if you're thinking, if you're, if it's, so, cause escape, I was putting it, it can capture a lot of things. It can capture avoiding something, um, but it can capture, like, I don't want to face this. And I think at the dentist, I'm trying to escape the physical pain of the drilling. It's not that I don't want to face something or something. It's, I know that, and I know why it's going to hurt. He's drilling into a nerve and so on. Um, so I don't think there's anything like sort of wider. I'm not facing things I should be facing in my life but you certainly can use drugs, alcohol to try to escape in that kind of sense. So you're, you, it's not that there's a difference between saying like, I had a frustrating day, I wanna relax. I'll think later about like, why was this so frustrating? What could I do to make it maybe in the future not be so frustrated by these kinds of things? That's, you're still facing it, but at the moment you wanna just try to relax. Um, that's very different than turning to it as, as avoidance that, which means you'll never face the issue. You're never going to deal with this issue. I mean, people take drugs to help them fall asleep is another kind of cat. And it, it's, it's, I think there are contexts which that for sure makes sense. And I think the concern I have is if it, what is the line with dependence? So like with ca caffeine as well, if someone needs like four espressos every morning to function, that's obviously not a good thing. And I think that's kind of what you capture in the larger context um, of like just knowing the full situation, that it's not in isolation one or the other. But do you think there is, you know, an issue with some sort of routine? Like, you know, I have this, I have a stereotype of the 50s, 1950s gentleman coming home and having a scotch every day to take the edge off. And so he's not necessarily escaping, but he's in a situation or in a life where he needs to take off the edge off of every day of his life. So if it's something like that, do you think it, it starts to be problematic or as long as they're not actually evading their life and it's just enjoyable for them to do that, it's okay? Um, I think again, it would depend it, it, what taking the edge off, is he really facing that kind of issue? If it's, if it's, he's having difficulties at work. I mean, you can have long periods at work where like, let's say he's a lawyer and he has a really difficult case that they're working on for six months now and so, and that it, it's, he's exhausted every time he comes home and wants a drink. I don't, I don't see anything. I can understand why a person would want to do that. Um, and even you brought up something like the dependent, you need four espressos a day. Um, 
it depends what con like if you're in a context where it's easy to have that it's i need breakfast for instance i get if i don't eat breakfast i often get restless i don't need coffee i don't need any i drink coffee but i don't need it i don't notice if i don't actually never drink it in the morning and i don't need it but i do i i'll notice i've gone without breakfast it's noon and i'm having a little difficulty concentrating so and i don't think i should think well yeah but i've now become dependent on having breakfast so i shouldn't it's easy. I live in a first world country. It's easy to have stuff for breakfast every day. And it can be a habit that I have no reason to think like this habit is setting me up for some kind of problem. So it really depends on the context, even for that kind of thing. That is, I can see a person, I know people who drink caffeine every morning and say like, I can't function without it. And I don't think they should try to wean themselves off of it. So I think this transitions well into drugs generally, because I think there's this idea of any chemical dependence is bad, right? Um, so if someone, and I think that's more often used with drugs, even pharmaceutical drugs, not necessarily like illegal drugs, because um, I still have an impression that I wouldn't want my body to, like I know my, I take for granted my body depends on food and water, but I wouldn't want it to depend on Advil every day if I got headaches every day or caffeine every morning. Um, but I guess as long as I'm aware of what's going on and I'm... Well, I, I think one of the contexts for drugs is, and, and again, not thinking illegal drugs, which is drugs, generally pharmaceuticals and so, is they have side effects. And so you often think um, other things equal, I'd rather not take this drug. Like I try not to take drugs um, for, for medical conditions unless I'm really convinced, yeah, this will be better than not taking it because a lot they're powerful they have effects and i don't think all the effects are known at least for many of them and they have side effects but for some i think it's yeah like i take for instance i have severe allergies uh seasonal allergies i take it every day um and i don't notice any side effect i've stopped it and i don't know i can't tell if i've taken it or not i don't notice any side effect but i notice for allergies, like it helps my allergies. And in a sense, I'm dependent on it. I am, and particularly in the spring, summer, I'm more miserable if I don't have access to allergy medicine. I, I mean, my eyes run and so on, they're itchy. And I'm dependent on it in that sense, but I don't, I, it's not a dependency that I think I should try to eliminate. If someone came up with like, there's, you can take one thing a year, uh, you don't have to take it every day. And so, yeah, I would look into that, but it's, but, but they don't, I really can't find any side effects. And I've looked, do they long-term, are there studies that it leads to liver damage or something like that? And I can't find any for that either. So it's in that context, I think it's very different. So I think for drugs, it's often one's thinking, yeah, there's gonna be side effects. Um, and that's part of what you're trying to avoid, if you can, like if it makes sense. But. Okay, I, I think that does make sense. Uh, and I wanna shift to, illegal drugs now, because I think that's really what is an interesting talking point generally and, and what I'm quite interested in. Are illegal drugs, including weed in this, significantly different than alcohol? They're often viewed differently. I believe even Ayn Rand viewed drugs as quite different than alcohol. So why is that the case? Because to me and a lot of my peers, they view weed at least as very similar to alcohol. You can take it just casually. Um, but it definitely seems to have a larger and uh, broader impact on your mind from um, my experience. Yeah, so I think a lot depends on what this drug is actually doing. Um, from what I've read, now I haven't, and it's not like I wouldn't take marijuana or weed, but I haven't, like I'm not that very interested in experimenting with all these things. I don't think it's like you've committed some sin if you're experimenting with that. Um, depending on what you're doing and what, again, like what positives are you trying to pursue? Um, but from what I've read, yeah, weed is similar to alcohol in it. And just as alcohol can be abused and people are, can be drunk and they can do all kinds of awful things when they're drunk. I mean, drinking and driving is one example, but there's others um, that, so it can be abused, but I think it's kind of recreational use. Yeah, it doesn't seem that much different from alcohol, when you smoke it, it's, I mean, there's the odor of it and so on. that's different than alcohol and it affects other people. And and I don't like the smell particularly of it. So like, I wouldn't want someone doing it in my house where I don't care if they have a drink in my house, like it's not. Um, 
so and there, there so it, from what I've read, yeah, it is very similar. I think some of the other drugs that are illegal in the U.S., cocaine and so on, it is different than, and it is, um, and I think they're usually taken also as escapes. This is a people who people who are unsatisfied with their lives or some aspect of their lives, and they're really trying to escape it, drown it in the way that you can use alcohol to really try to escape your problems um, <clears throat> or give you a substitute of like this is some meaningful experience or something because you're experiencing a deep lack of meaning in your own life. But the solution, it's not a solution. It is an escape. And the, what you should be trying to do is find a solution. And so I want to, you mentioned like finding meaning. And so my friend group in university was one of these groups that thinks it's important to take drugs. It helps expand your mind and you, and you take psychedelic drugs and you, your consciousness is better. You understand the world more uh, based on your knowledge or readings. Like uh, what is, what is the view of that side, sort of approach to drug use? Um, I'm highly skeptical of it, though it's, again, that people would want to experiment. I don't find that um, there's a lot of things to discover. Um, and uh, so the, the ex I, I don't have any qualms with the experimenting of it, but the characterizations of it, of losing yourself, um, you're sort of merging with everything. And so I don't think are desirable states. Um, it, they're part of an escape and a part of, a, uh, of losing or trying to drown your individuality, your thinking, your values and so on. I don't think are good things, um, certainly as a, as a normal outcome, um, but it, it's, there can be things like can disquiet the mind um, and there are people who have like, difficulty doing that. It's one of the reasons people meditate and so on. And there may be uses of, of psychedelic drugs and so on for these, leaving aside kind of um, psychological or psychiatric problems where, and this is part of the reason there should be research and experiment with the, like what these can do and because they do have effects on the brain and on, on the mind. Um, and they might be useful in various kinds of treatment. As well. I wanna push back a bit again on this idea of escape because I still find it hard to accept that someone who, for example, smokes weed every day or drinks alcohol every day, even in small amounts, isn't escaping something, right? They're not able to, I, I think that someone should be able to gain control of their mind so that they wouldn't need the assistance. Is that just like, I wouldn't, I suppose, I wouldn't think that if it was a physical issue. And so why do I have this? But it seems the, the mind is so gentle, let's say for lack of a better term, that I'm hesitant to, yeah, give it assistance like that. And I would view it as riskier to become dependent. I think one should really value and prize your mind, um, your ability to think. So interfering with that in any kind of way, you should take really seriously. But I don't think having a glass of wine um, at dinner or so does anything like that. I don't think it, it you don't notice this person He's having more difficulty thinking or remembering things. You do notice that, like if they've had six drinks, you notice a lot of things. But at, a person who has one drink with dinner or something like that is, I don't think, so it's not like a continuum like this. It has certain kind of effects. When you have a lot of it, it's very different kind of effects that it has. Um, and that, 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 it's, that, it's, that it has a sort of relaxation and pleasure, I think is important. And it's one of the reasons there's a lot of animus against drugs um, and against, I mean, so illegal drugs, but alcohol and in, in the US at one time, there was prohibition, which they put as a constitutional amendment to ban it and so on. And I think one of the forces is that there's something suspicious about enjoyment, about pleasure. When you read about the history of prohibition, there for sure is a religious strand to it. I don't think it's the only thing going on, but there's a religious Puritan strand that this life is not about pleasure. It's not about enjoyment. It's a kind of trial penitence. Um, you have to kind of bucker down, grin and bear it. And 
this is like, oh, this is, and it's akin to like dancing, religions have prohibited dancing and music, and it's similar, it's an enjoyment for the sake of enjoyment. And that's an important aspect of life, to take pleasure in the actual day-to-day living. Um, and I think um, alcohol, for instance, is, it's, that's one of its uses. It's not the only type, and it can be misused, but that's a valid and good use of it. I, I think it's important that you said it's about the pleasure of living and not just about pleasure, because I know people who will say, well, it feels great. I can take some drugs and just be out of my mind for a day or longer, depending on how much I'm taking and how often. And I, it's enjoyable. I'm, it's pleasure, but it's not life. Uh, so do you think that's an important distinction to still hold? Because there's this hedonistic lifestyle now that you know, if I'm drunk and partying all the time, I am enjoying my life, they'll claim. Yeah, I, I, so that is a very important distinction. Objectivism is a, not at all hedonism. Um, so it's not value pleasure because it's pleasure. It's value your life, pursue your life and all the values that make life possible and make a full human life possible. So your ability to thrive but one of the aspects of that is that pleasure is important in life. It's not the only thing in life. It's not the standard of morality, but having pleasurable experiences that you find your life, the living of it pleasurable is important because it's part of the motivation for this is worth having, pursuing, continuing. And it's why like a person who's in chronic pain, um, they think about suicide because like the day-to-day, -day, we're talking like severe chronic pain. The day-to-day -day is unpleasurable. Um, it's painful. And it's like, why do I want more of this and more of this? And, so, it, it, and it's, that's not, it, it's a very problematic thing. And going back to drugs, like the idea that you're going to forbid marijuana for the people who use it for the chronic, to alleviate chronic pain and so on. That, again, like it's similar going to the dentist. That's a great use of it for the people who say it really does help for these kinds of conditions. Um, and the idea you're going to ban that because you have some religious suspicion against pleasure um, is like I, is really monstrous. So talking on legality, um, most, you know, drugs, as we kind of casually label it are illegal in the states, except weed in some states. Uh -huh. um, Canada recently legalized weed nationally. Right. Do you think that there's some significant difference between weed and the other drugs? And what, how should people view the legality of drugs generally? Because uh, even a lot of people might now agree, well, weed should be legal, but not heroin. We don't want people just, heroin can't be good, let's say. Um, I do think you should think of the different drugs differently from a personal moral standpoint. But again, the primary has to be like, why do I want to take this? What am I trying to accomplish? And is that a valid thing that I'm trying to accomplish? Whether you're thinking of alcohol, weed, heroin. Um, and if you don't have a positive reason, you shouldn't do it. Uh, but that's on a personal moral level. On a legal level, I don't think any of these drugs should be uh, illegal. That the, the, and sometimes what we put as victimless crimes or crimes where you're the only, I mean, crimes, where you're the only victim. So if you're taking heroin, but you can do this with alcohol too, and, and sort of pouring your life down the drain with this, a person should be able to do it, that is legally. I don't think morally it's advisable to do. And if I had a friend who I thought like is throwing his life away on drugs or alcohol, I'd try to help him and see if, if there's something you can do about that. So I don't, from a moral standpoint, I don't think it's good. But from a legal standpoint, they're not interfering with other people living their lives. They're doing something that is detrimental to themselves where people can do things and are, should be free to do things that are detrimental to themselves. And this is a major issue. Um, not so much, um, I think, from objectivism's perspective, certainly from my perspective, not, oh, I want to be free to take whatever drug I want. As I say, I'm not particularly interested in that if heroin was legal, I'm not going to the drugstore or whatever to get heroin because now I finally can take it. Um, but it is important that you have a proper legal system. And when you make things illegal that should not be, it corrupts 
the legal system and it corrupts it in all kinds of ways. And I think this is the real, the so-called war on drugs. The real problem with it and why it's, it's a major problem is that it corrupts the legal system. So, I mean, most obvious, it gives criminals a source of funding that they would not have. If they couldn't use drug money to finance all kinds of other things that are crimes and should be crimes like sex trafficking and so trafficking of minors and so if they couldn't get money from drugs and use it for these kinds of things, those things that really should be illegal, would, would, there would be much less of it. Um, but it, it corrupts the police because now you're asking the police to enforce crimes that are not actually crimes. They can't find any victims and so on. Um, and if, when you look at what happens to the police force uh, when drugs now are illegal, and what you do is you push out the better policemen. Like, I don't want to put a guy in 10 years in jail for smoking weed or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, and the US system is filled with all kinds of people of drug, minor drug crimes. He doesn't want to, like, there's something unjust wrong about this. So the good policeman doesn't want to do that. The kind of guy who's attracted to the police because he likes pushing people around and he likes putting people in jail regardless sort of, of what they've done. That's more you attract, you're incentivizing that kind of police officer and de-incentivizing the guy who actually cares about justice. And it's the same when you look at the, um, the district attorney's office and, so it, and, it's, and judges and so on. I think when you look throughout the legal system, it corrupts and corrupts particularly in it's hard for good people to operate, easier for bad people to operate. And that is a major, major problem. I mean, that's why I, I mean, if that this would be a kind of political issue that you want to legalize more drugs. That's the reason I want it, not because I, I want to take heroin, but I want a good legal system. That, that makes a lot of sense. And I think I agree. Like, I'm not interested in trying all of these other drugs, but it's surprising to me because at least in like my understanding of the political scene, there are the quote conservatives who think it should all be illegal, partially because it's immoral but not necessarily, but also on the left, on, on the more, let's call it progressive side, it is often the advocates are the ones who say, no, drugs are good, that it does expand your mind, not just, it, they don't argue for just freedom, it's, you sh probably shouldn't, but you should be free. Why is this a unique position of objectivism and other, like, freedom first? Why don't the other sides, for lack of a better term, have this kind of proper perspective on it? Um, well, I mean, there's a variety of things going on. And I would put the, if you want a kind of third category, a libertarian kind of attitude towards drugs, which is often we want to take these things um, and does not focus nearly as much on the effects on government and the legal system. And because many of, of so-called libertarians are anarchists, so they don't, they want to get rid of government. So they don't think about the issue of, do you have an objective legal system, a proper, that's rationally operating, or is it non-objective and operating in all kinds of irrational ways? But that's a major issue for objectivism, that it, the issue is government is a necessary good. We want good government. We don't want to get rid of government. And so it's a major consideration to think, have we passed laws that are actually undermining the whole system of government? which I think the illegal drugs do. I mean, the laws against uh, making drugs illegal. The conservatives, I mean, it's of a bent. They often want to control people's personal lives. And to get the religious aspect of this and a suspicion of pleasure, of regarding yourself, of worthy, of, um, of, of joy and happiness. There's, this is why they have a lot of animus against sex. Is it's a, I mean, it's another area in which um, people rightly are concerned with their own pleasure. Uh, and that this is, that, that's an asset, it's not the total of what sex is about, but it's a highly pleasurable activity and that's in, uh, essential to it. Um, th they have suspicions about that kind of thing. And they wanna control this kind of thing. So that, I mean, that you see that on the more conservative, I don't think it's surprising. And on the more progressive, Ayn Rand wrote a lot about this, about the rise of the new left. Um, you, I mean, she had a book, The New Left, The Anti-Industrial Revolution. It's now retitled Return of the Primitive. And there it's 
a part of what she characterizes the new left that arises in the 60s, but has continued and morphed in certain ways. But that basic mentality has continued to the present, I think. It's, it's down with reason, down with thinking. It's all about emotion. And drugs, and I mean, there's obviously a whole drug uh, culture in the 60s, was about that, was about um, plunging your mind back into darkness, sort of, and letting your emotions have free reign, try to guide you, all you need is love. So, and there is that, there is that attitude still, it's morphed in certain kinds of ways, but there's that attitude in the progressive, there's that, that attitude in the libertarians. I think uh, of people self-identify as libertarians of this. It's all about do whatever I feel like doing, not do what I think is right. It's do whatever I feel like doing. And drugs is then is a way of expressing that. And sort of, it's like self-expression of that. And, and she was uh, incredibly critical of the hippies and the sixties um, and so when you read some of what she writes about drug and the, the drug use of the hippies and so on, it's very, very negative, but there it's being used as both, I think, an escape from their inner emptiness and pain and as a way to suppress reason. And that she thinks is monstrous, but it's not like it has to, marijuana has to be used like that, but that's how it was being used. I think. That provides a lot of clarity in sort of the political scene, let's say, with respect to drugs. So I appreciate that. Um, I'll remind people we're going to go to the Q&A with the audience. So if you want to ask questions on Zoom, there's a Q&A tab. Um, I know some people are raising their hands, but if you have questions, please submit it on the Q&A uh, form. And then on YouTube and Facebook and Periscope, you can leave comments. Before we do that, I have one, one last question um, from myself. It's around, it's a different aspect of this idea of expanding your mind. So it's, or relaxing your mind, but for um, explicit benefit. So I spoke with someone who thought they gave better speeches after having a shot or two of whiskey because it flowed more easily. And there are some celebrities who've come out saying that they got kind of stuck because they, thought they could only write music, for example, when they smoked weed. And so it became sort of dependent, or they felt they became dependent in that way. But to a degree, it's true or for some people that it does help them be more creative and things like that. So what are your thoughts on that aspect of the use as a, not stimulant, but as a, like a performance enhancing? Yeah, I think uh, this, this would be an area that it would be worth a lot of research for. There are many activities where um, the activity is you're asking a lot of your subconscious. Um, so, and I, and I think performing is one thing like this, where it is, you have to do a lot of preparation, but now it's like now I'm live, I'm performing and I can't do a lot of thinking. It's you're relying on thinking you've done and so on. And, but you're relying a lot that there's things stored in your mind, stored in your subconscious is how in, in objectivism it would be described, I think. And you want this to be surfaced and to be readily available. And I can believe that there are um, drugs that help with that. I mean, this is one of the things people say about say just a dinner party, that having wine with the dinner makes the conversation flow easier. And I think I've been around some people where I think, yeah, that definitely is true. Um, that just a one drink, it, it, people are a little more relaxed and the conversation flows um, much more easily. There are cases where I don't think, so I don't think this is some universal thing, but I could imagine a performer who said, yeah, I, I have a drink before I perform and I perform better. And that's again, very different than I have 10 drinks and I, I'm stumbling over my words and so on. And, but this is, it, it's um, just as there's all kinds of research that goes into nutrition and some things are known, but there's a lot unknown. So for various of these other subs and drugs and so on, there would be, there's still a lot to learn and to research. And it, 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 I, I mean, I've met artists, musicians who, who say that. Um, when you look at the jazz world, for instance, um, you, I, like, I find 
part of it tragic how much drugs there was and it destroyed a lot of them and so on. But also some of them say like without any, it was harder to write music and so on. And that may well be true. Um, but, but that's acceptable, you think? No. Like so it, it, uh, if it really was the case that you think like I'm take, I have to take so many drugs that it's destroyed. I can't function in any area of life and so on. And my relationships fall apart and my friendships fall apart, but I'm able to write music. Um, uh, you would have a real to think, you would have to think, and you'd have to think sober about that, about like, is this really, does this make sense? And maybe it's the, if this is what I find, and it might, there might be psychological issues involved and so on, but if this is what I find, it's, I still have a choice. I mean, maybe I should not write music and have a healthy life. Um, but, but it's, again, you, it, you have to know the full context about it. Is it, is it like they find one drink, that's what helps them write, or it's really, they're all stoned all the time and can't function other than they can write me. Um, and that, those, those are very different things. What do you think of the slippery slope argument that, well, if you get used to having two drinks, you'll then have three, then you'll have five. Or like weed is a gateway drug. If you use that, then maybe you'll want to be more detached. And it's not true as a principle. So um, I, mean, I drink, as I said, I drink. I don't find any kind of slippery slope. Then all of a sudden, a year later, I'm having three drinks a night and then five. And there's nothing like I don't. And I I don't have an addictive personality at all. Um, so I can easily stop drinking for two weeks, and then have it. I, my parents uh, with smoking could smoke a lot and then just stop cold turkey without any withdrawal and so on. So there may be some people for whom it is more, they find it addictive, they might have an addictive personality and so on. And there is for them, it is like if I have one, I easily slip into two and then into four. And that's something you need to know about yourself. And it often then the best thing is go cold turkey. Don't try to be somewhere on the slope because you find it so difficult. So, but as a principle, I don't think it's not a generalization about human beings as such or about any of these substances. I mean, there might be some exceptions, but of any of these substances as such, that it, like they, you're so hooked that you just want more and more and you can't do anything about it. So. All right, I, I think that's clarifying. So thank you. So before we go to the audience Q&A, we're just gonna take a quick poll um, to see what people's familiarity is with Ayn Rand. So if you, those participating in Zoom, if you can take a second right now to answer this poll question, we'd much appreciate it. And then please do, if you've been commenting in the chat in Zoom, please also comment in the Q&A uh, section if you have questions and we can answer them. So we'll leave the poll up for a couple, for an, a minute or so. But we can go to the first question, um, which is from Zoom. What does the concept drug mean in this discussion? So we've not actually said exactly what we mean by drug. We've talked about alcohol, some illegal drugs, some legal drugs. But what, what exactly are we talking about? Uh, well, what do you think? I mean, so you're partly interested in the, in the question. I mean, so that's part of what driving like, so what, how, what do you think of it as the category? Because I think it is, it's not a neatly defined category. For, for me, I think I try and view it as broadly as possible. Like any, any chemical compound that impacts the human physiology. Uh, so like I define caffeine as a drug the same way I define alcohol or marijuana or THC. Um, and so I, I view it that broadly and coming into this conversation, I viewed them as all bad, right? Like anytime, even if I take ibuprofen, I shouldn't want to have my life in such a way that I need to take ibuprofen. So I kind of view it, I try and view it as broadly as possible. But you have, you, have, you have to distinguish it from food, at least. So it, mm. it's, you're, you're ingesting chemicals, um, whether occurring natural or they're man-made, engineered, um, but not for nutritional purposes. Yeah, for some other uh, stimulant or modification purposes, not just for nutrition. Yeah, and even that you brought up the ibuprofen. And it, there is a context in which 
Yeah, I wish I didn't have to take ibuprofen. So it's like, I wish I didn't have pain in my leg or I wish I didn't have a headache. But there are people who have chronic headaches and it's, it's hard to figure out like what's triggering this and so on. And in that context that they take ibuprofen say all the time, it's, um, yeah, I wish I didn't have these headaches, but given that I do, I don't find anything problematic about I'm taking this drug. Indeed, you should take that drug I don't, if it's helping. So is there, I kind of gave a non-succinct definition of drug. Is there one that you can provide to kind of help? Or is I mean, it? Uh, yeah, no, I think it would be, it's something like it's, it's, it's chemicals you're ingesting um, for, their, for some effect other than nutritional. It's to alleviate pain. Um, it's to, you find it relaxing. You find it a stimulant like caffeine. It keeps you awake. So it, it's, um, but you don't think of it as like, I need, it's not food. You don't put it in the category of food, even though you're ingesting it like food. Okay. Um, so we have another question from Zoom, which is what is the problem with illicit drug addiction they emphasize, for instance, to crystal meth? So there are people who can get addicted. Um, and is there a problem with something like that? Or if they can manage their life and they just, you know, are addicted, uh, it's okay still. Um, the, I think the, the normal context is you can't manage your life. Um, so when you're talking about this kind of, it's addiction is it's consuming you. It's, um, and now you do all kinds of things because I need, uh, more crystal meth. So I'm going to arrange my life so that I can get it. And I'm going to stop spending on things that were valuable to me, um, in order, because I need more and more of this. And it, it like it, it, the whole context is you're out of control. And even if you're managing it, it's still a problem. It's a problem. Okay. There might be some people who are managing and something, but it's not good. And again, if the, if the perspective of morality is, you want to pursue valuables, you want to pursue something good, then if you've got a problem you can manage, yeah, that's better than an unmanageable problem, but it's still a problem. It's, and the goal is to get rid of it if, it if it really is a problem. And I think that's the, when people are talking about they're addicted and whether crystal meth or alcohol, it's a problem. It's made, they might be able to cope in some sense, like they haven't lost their job yet and so on, but it's not a positive in their life. What do you think of the idea of psychological addiction? Um, I remember hearing Dr. Peikoff once say that he didn't think that was legitimate, that either your body is physically addicted or you can, can I'm, I'm not sure exactly how he phrased it, but there's this idea that, you know, weed is psychologically addictive, that you like the feeling, so you keep craving the feeling, even though your body doesn't go into withdrawal, like with a, quote, physical addiction like heroin. Do you think this idea of psychological addiction is valid? Well, I find the idea of addiction in general very vague and used in various kinds of ways. And when they categorize things as a, this is addiction, that's addiction, they don't seem that similar to me. But there certainly is this broad phenomenon of you learn to uh, want something and need something. And then when you go without it, you experience it as, I don't have this anymore. I'm going without this and I want more of this and it, and it spurs you on. And that can be healthy or that can be unhealthy. So you can learn as a, as a child, like it takes effort to be able to do stuff, to achieve things. And you like the whole process. Like this was demanding and so on, but at the end I'm able to figure out something. So, and that, so you can talk to someone as being like very loosely addicted to learning. He's getting feedback and it's positive. It's like a positive feedback mechanism. And you can talk about someone being addicted to something unhealthy and in a psychological sense for people who've read The Fountainhead, for instance. Um, this is Ayn Rand's, uh, I mean, Ayn Rand's novel, The Fountainhead. There's a character who, like from a colloquial perspective, you could say he's addicted to getting praise from other people. And when people withhold that praise, he experiences it. Like I'm missing that I need, I need to do, and I need to adjust my behavior. So people, and that had like, I think that's a negative feedback. Like it, this is something bad for him. He, but he experiences it as if I go without that, that's even worse. So I crave this. 
And you can describe that as it, it's like addiction, but it's not. The, the idea of this as like you're, you're physically or physiologically wired to this, um, no. And, and, and in the normal context, in the psychological sense, no. It's that this is, the, I mean, the, the character's name in the fountainhead, first name is Peter. And you see, this is, he's learned or mislearned that, like he's learned something that's not true. He's pursuing something that's not good for him, but it has a kind of feedback that spurs him on to keep doing that, even though it's bad for him. Okay, thank you. Um, so we have a question from Steve on Zoom. So a central issue is whether in the context of your knowledge, the benefits of taking a drug outweighs any negative side effects, short-term and long-term. Is that correct? Um, yeah, but put the first on the benefit. Like it's, you really have to think, what are the benefits? And it, it's, it's, if we take it again outside of the context of legal drugs, heroin, crystal meth, and this is true of if your doctor's prescribing a drug, I think carefully about, okay, like why, is, for what condition is he prescribing this for? Is it really, am I at the case where I think, yeah, I need drugs for this. Um, what, do I, what are the known side effects and what is like their likelihood of experience? And you have to think, but the first is like, what's the benefit? And I, I mean, I've had this experience. I'm sure many people have had this kind of, I mean, I know many people have had this experience that you go to the doctor and it's like the first time you have high blood pressure or something. And it's, oh, let me write a prescription for that. Thing. I don't take it. Um, mm -hmm. I, it's only if I think, yeah, okay, over time, okay, I've had now like it's six months of every time it's high blood pressure. I've got something and I can't address it by changing my diet and so on. And it's, okay, I'm going to take this drug that has side effects. But it is, so the, but the first is like, are there really bent? Like, why do I think I should take this? And only in that context is it like, what would be the negatives of taking this? But it's often just for medical drugs. I think, no, there's not enough positive here. It's, they don't have enough evidence I've got a blood pressure problem and it's just an easy fix, mm. but it doesn't make sense. All right, thank you. Hopefully that answers your question, Steve. Um, we have a question from Zoom from, I believe, Ram. Does sugar count as a drug? There's a movement going on against sugar and carbs that it affects the quality of human life seriously. Can, be, can food be used like a drug, for example, chocolate? Um, well, so I think that consumption is for nutritional. I mean, when people have sugar, it's for nutritional purposes. It's not a drug in that sense. But food has effects. I mean, food, and it has a lot of effects, some which are known. I think men, there's a lot of research into nutrition that's still, and, and the variability. So the idea that um, the same food has the same effect on everyone. Um, like for instance, I've never experienced a carb coma. I don't know if the carbs don't affect me in that kind of way that I eat. But I know people who do, and I believe it, that it is like they really get sluggish from it. I don't experience it. Um, mm -hmm. So there's a lot of just variability, I think, in nutrition as well. But so that for sugar, but for other, I mean, for meats, I mean, basically anything you can take. There's been studies about at some point you shouldn't eat eggs or you should eat lots of eggs. Don't drink caffeine, drink caffeine. Wine's good for you, it's not good for you. So, and there is something to study there. How much is actually known is a different question. But what are its effects on you physically, physiologically, and even mentally? Um, because food does have effects. I mean, when a carb coma is in part a mental effect, it's not just physiological. Um, so I think that it's something definitely worth paying attention to. Um, but it's true of food in general. There's not something special about sugar or carbs, but that doesn't apply to proteins. From my experience, there is an ability to kind of use sugar in a, in a more drug-like way where it's like really, I'm just trying to get it to impact my mood, definitely when you're younger. But even if you're really low energy, you can drink a Coke. Uh, I mean, Coke has caffeine, but even just a sugary drink. And it does give you a burst of energy still. So there is that kind of ability as well. But it's, um, I think everything else, you, everything you said is very important. But they use that like for other things. Like when you read about athletes, many athletes have a very specific ritual about what they eat pre-game. 
and it's for the effects of the food. It's not just because they know they're going to be hungry or something. It's, and it, it's just something true of food in general. Right. So you highlighted um, that it's very important to know what like each person's experience is. Some people get carb, carb comas, some don't. So we have a, a question. The last question was actually from Jennifer. This one's from Ram. And it's talking about that difference with respect to drugs explicitly. So how can you make a choice rationally with experimentation when you're unsure what the experiment does to your mind? Especially the sample data available says it affects individuals differently. I know, for example, magic mushrooms, people say one, one use can like change your mind and, or, and there's some physiological evidence of that even. So um, how can you make a choice if you don't know exactly what the effects will be? Yeah, I mean, I would be very cautious about it, but I think that's true of drug, experimental drugs in general, that it's like, why are you experimenting? And if it is, you've got stage four cancer or something, and this is like, now that you're taking an experimental drug and, and it, yeah, it might kill you, but it, there's some slim possibility that it's gonna help. So that's one context, but in the normal span, this is part of why I'm not very interested in the issue of it. It is like, I, you, your mind is really important and you can screw it up. And if I thought I had to, like, if I was in chronic pain or something like that, then I might experiment with it and see like, does marijuana really help? But in a normal course, it's, I'm not that interested in experimenting with all these things. I need a lot of evidence to think, yeah, there's some value here to pursue um, that's worth starting to investigate. Um, and it's not obvious to me I mean, to say the least for many of these drugs, that there is such a thing. Um, Thank you. Um, we have a question from YouTube from Tom. Should drugs be illegal to sell to minors? Um, some of them, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, and, and I mean, there are laws, for instance, on alcohol, and I think there should be for marijuana and uh, for the other, if hard drugs were, were legalized. Yeah, but it's and it, but it's not just drugs. I mean, there's various kinds of things. You a minor can't consent. Part of what it means to a minor is he can't consent in the way that an adult consents. He's not at adulthood, and so there's many things that he can't consent to, and that's including like I think it would be good for me to take drugs or to take alcohol, but he can't enter into all kinds of contracts. He's not of legal age in that sense, and that makes sense for minor. It's not something distinctive about drugs, but it, they fall in the category of various things that a minor can't consent to. Do you think there should be differences between or it's difficult to kind of know, like, is there one line, you're an adult, you can make all of these decisions or, you know, cigarettes might be different from marijuana might be different from alcohol in some countries, some states? Yeah, there can be different lines. What's important in law is that there's a clear line. And people will always say, well, it's arbitrary to say it's 18 or you can drive at 16, but you can't. But it's you have to draw a line somewhere and there's a range in which you can draw it. But it's not like, why can't a five-year-old drive? No, it's okay, maybe 16 or 17, but it's not two or five. So it's, it's not arbitrary. But there is a range which you have to, for legal reasons, you have to pick a line. And it, you could pick it in various places, but you have to pick one. Oh, wait. Uh, we have a question from Christopher from Zoom. What do you think are some good questions to ask oneself to examine whether or not one's use of alcohol, marijuana, or stronger drugs is not helpful in the long term? Um, I think you, some things that it's, I mean, the basic question is like, why, why do I, like, I feel like I need a drink. Why do I need a drink? And is it, but then it's, it's, is it like, is this every day that I feel like this every day I need a drink or I need to smoke weed or something. And, um, and then to think like, what is it doing for? What is it? What am I like after this? Um, and I do think there is an issue of if you feel like you can't stop, why is that? And not just like, I wouldn't want to stop. Like I, I drink, as I said, I drink, I can stop. I can easily stop and I don't feel, but it's like, I like it. So why am I going to stop? But if I had someone like, if, if I'm taking an antibiotic and it says, well, don't mix this with alcohol, I don't drink and, it, and I don't have any problems. So if you have a problem stopping, 
then that it, it often indicates like, why do, why do I find this so hard to stop? Um, and that can indicate like it's, it's playing a role that it should not be playing in your life. So those are some of the things. I'm sure there's many other things you can have. Thanks. Hopefully that answers your question, Christopher. And we have time for our last question from Steve on Zoom. Here in Canada, marijuana has recently been made legal, but when it was still illegal, would it have been wrong to use it since such use showed disrespect for the law, where the law was irrational but not a serious infringement of individual rights? Um, I mean, that, it depends on the context uh, it's the full context. So there's the, um, I don't think the personal consumption of it is an issue. If it's, you're now starting to manufacture this um, and sell it underground. And so that's a different issue, I think. And it's the similar with prohibition. And prohibition was, was um, I mean, it had various kinds of strange things, but there's a difference between uh, you have a drink at dinner versus now I'm getting into the job of supplying the black market with these things. Um, so it, you'd have to get the, as for many things in morale, you have to get the specifics of what it was, but it, it um, uh, uh, I mean, to take, to take a, a similar kind of thing. So there's a drinking age um, and, uh, I mean, on special occasions, well, I have a drink when I was, and my parents would give a drink at an earlier age. And, so, and then like, no, I, it might be technically illegal. Do I think that's an issue? No. no. All right. I have one last question, if we can answer it briefly. What do you think of the state in the U.S. where weed is legal in states, but not federally? And there's this, how, how do we, you know, clarify this issue in the country? Um, I mean, so you need some kind of the, 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 yeah, you'd need to integrate the federal and the state laws. And then if it is, um, I mean, for the criminal law, if it's uh, in some sense, the, the federal thought is overarching in regard to that. Yeah. And it's, it's important to do that. Um, but it's part of the reason that indicates like this should not be a criminal issue. In part, because you're encountering these kinds of problems. And that's like, it's another kind of example of it corrupts the legal system. It introduces problems that shouldn't be there. Um, and if you had a better system, wouldn't be there. And then it, it creates tension between the federal and the states. And, and there's no reason for that. <clears throat> um, so, so that's in part, and to go back to the other issue about the legality and when it's illegal, what to do. It was interesting. I mean, Ayn Rand praised Americans for, um, uh, for instance, running the Underground Railroad when slavery was still legal. And so that it, it yeah, but that shouldn't be a law. And similarly, that they defied prohibition is in an overall sense a good thing because it's like this should not be a law. It's not just. And that people defy it. But that's, again, this is, when I say it corrupts the legal system, this is, people should respect the law. But the more and more laws that you have that are bad and, in fact, unjust, the more you're putting, like, for good, normal people, it's like, I don't want to respect the law because it does all these stupid things. And that's not, like, it, it, you degrade the citizenry. Law is important and one should have respect for it. But this is why one should be active politically and want good laws on the book, laws that you think you should respect and other people should. And the more you put laws on the book that people shouldn't really respect, uh, the more you're undermining the whole system. Right, great, thank you. Uh, so this was really interesting, I enjoyed it and it definitely provided me with perspectives I did not have before, so thank you. Um, thank you I hope everyone else enjoyed it as well. Uh, we have some suggested reading on if you want to get more on this topic from an objectivist point of view, can you tell us a bit about it, Ankar? Yeah, in Ayn Rand answer, so this is a collect edited collection. Uh, the subhead is the best of her Q&A. And she was in the 60s, particularly, I think she was asked questions about drug and drug use. So there's a few pages of collected questions about 
drug use, and then there's some about the hippies as well. So if you want to read uh, some of the questions she got and answers she gave to them, it's, it's very interesting. And there's a lot of other interesting things in the book, but specifically on this issue, there's a few um, pages on it. Um, and another one, if you, again, about the 60s, the hippies, the drug culture, as it may be described, um, she has very interesting and penetrating commentary on the 60s and the hippies. One very interesting uh, essay, which is in, again, the book, it was called The New Left, uh, The Anti-Industrial Revolution. Now it's called, retitled with some additional things, Return of the Primitive. There's a, an essay, Apollo and Dionysus, and it's a comparison of the moon landing with the Woodstock Festival. And it's very interesting. Um, and Woodstock, you may have heard a sort of glamorized, um, like decades later account of it. She's quoting from newspaper stories at the time about what the event was actually like. It's eye-opening just for that piece of history, but then there's a lot of commentary on the hippie culture and why it, drugs is so prevalent. That's very interesting as well. Great, thank you. Um, and so next week, we will be joined by Ben Baer to discuss, is abortion immoral? Be sure to register at the provided link um, if you want to attend, or it will be live on Facebook and YouTube as well. And if you have any questions for a future webinar, you can email us at webinars at einrand.org and we can do a full session on it. As well, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel and there's also now a Facebook page where you can get a lot of clips from the webinars that are much more shareable uh, to help spread the, the wisdom. So thank you, Ankar, and thanks to everyone who tuned in. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you.